Today on the show, we're introducing to you a new distribution company that's in the market, Forest Films. The two founders of the company are Forrest Lucas, uh, owner of Lucas Oil, uh, who also happens to have the naming rights for the Indianapolis Colts, the football stadium, and as well, Ali Ashfar, who is currently, of all things, a race car driver, a producer, and an actor. Really, really interesting company. They are specializing in a, a niche of a kind of family product. We will get into that in further detail on the show. Also with us on the show today, joining Ali, is Scott Kennedy. Now, Scott is a gentleman who has a, uh, as I like to say, a very rich and storied history in the entertainment and distribution business. It was great to have him on the show. He was an executive at Open Road Films, Miramax, and MGM, and they brought him on board as president of Worldwide Marketing and Distribution. So, a lot of information on this show, just really interesting to hear how, as a new distribution player in the market, they are uh, they are approaching it. Their enthusiasm for the theatrical experience uh, so apparent in this conversation. I hope you get a lot out of it. I hope you enjoy it. And let's get on with the show. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today on the business of film. Uh, I really appreciate both of your time. Uh, I'm joined by Scott Kennedy and Ali Afshar. And I would love it if each of you could just take a moment and introduce yourselves to our listeners. Scott, perhaps, uh, if you might go first. Okay. Uh, my name is Scott Kennedy. I'm president of marketing and distribution for uh, Forest Films, uh, working with Ali Afshar, who runs the place. Uh, my background, I've been in the industry for 25 years, plus years. Uh, in distribution and marketing. Uh, and my last gate before coming here, I worked for Miramax Films from 1998 when we won the Oscar for Best Picture for Shakespeare in Love through No Country for Old Men, Gangs of New York, Chicago. Uh, and then I went to Disney owned Miramax. Um, when that was sold, I went over and helped start a company called um, Open Road Films with Tom Ortenberg and uh, put together the uh, distribution and operations uh, of that and uh, stayed with them through Spotlight and The Gray, uh, uh, Nightcrawler. And then uh, when that was sold to uh, Donald Tang, I came and worked for Ali Afshar and we're putting together uh, a slate of films that is uh, very important and I think uh, people will really uh, respond to. That's great, thank you so much, Scott. Ali, how about a little bit, uh, a little bit about yourself? No, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, my name is Ali Afshar. I am uh, the founder of ESX Entertainment and Forest Films. Basically, ESX, I come from a uh, motorsports background. I'm a professional race car driver and actor that ended up branching out my ESX Motorsports uh, company into uh, ESX Entertainment as well, partnered with Forrest Lucas of Lucas Oil, the founder of uh, the Lucas Oil Empire. And we wanted to tell... American dream, underdog, diverse stories. So for the last four or five years, we've done a slate of about 14 films now all in this space of kind of um, do the right thing, feel good, family alternative films. And uh, we've been uh, lucky to be here housed at Warner Brothers for the past uh, three and a half years. We have an exciting slate of films coming out um, in 2019 as well as 2020. And we're always producing, you know, two to four films a year in this space. So that's about that's it about for me. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Hey, so how did you two connect? I mean, we got a race car driver turned 
production slash distributor. And we've got uh, Scott yourself, a gentleman with, a again, a history and distribution. Where and how did, did, did the connection between the two of you come together? Well, it's a, it's a great story. Um, we were shooting one of our films, and one of our crew guys, our, our crew is like family. We use the same crew on over a dozen films. And one of the crew guys in- introduced me to his uncle, which was which theater chain? Uh, Sinopolis Theaters, Joe Garrel. Joe Garrel at uh, Uncle Joe. And uh, Joe Garrel at Sinopolis, uh, I was talking to him, and he said, you know what? Somebody's misfortune could be something positive for you. I said, you need to meet Scott Kennedy. So um, Scott and I spoke on the phone. We immediately hit it off the phone, uh, hit it on our first, hit it off on our first conversation. And then I spoke with a lot of the people over here at Warner Brothers that uh, said really, really uh, great things about him. So he came in, and I said, you know what? I, I want help guiding this type of, uh, you know, mo- these types of movies. They're not these huge, big blockbusters, but I feel they're for an underserved market that needs uh, needs attention. And I wanted to cultivate my own. Uh, my own, you know, strategy and team with a focus regionally and nationally on these types of titles and the series long and short form that we're spinning off and everything else I want to do. So brought on Scott. Um, so unfortunate for them with Global Road slash Open Road, it was fortunate for us. So Scott brought on his team and he's got a nice staff of people he's worked with for some more than decades and some new. So that's kind of how we met. It was just through, a, through actually one of my crew guys, uncle, that introduced me. And so, uh, Scott, I guess, you know, uh, I don't know how quickly the transition for you. So it, it literally happened right after Open Road, I guess, fell apart. Yeah, I was still at Open Road and uh, feeling out a few things that were coming my way. Um, but when I had a conversation with Ali and then um, I, I really liked his energy and I wanted to kind of take a new direction, a bit of a uh, pivot in my career and get more into... Uh, the filmmaker side of the world and uh, dealing with Ali. And then Ali sent me a film that he made called American Wrestler, uh, which is John Boyd and William Fitzner and Ali Afshar. And it's the true, it's Ali's actually based on his true story of coming over from Iran. And I just found it amazing that he could make a film for the budget that he made it for that was that quality. It, I mean, it's just a terrific right. movie. So I I came over and we sat down and started talking. I saw two or three more of his films. Uh, he's a prolific filmmaker. And um, the opportunity to take these films from the ground up and get them out to an audience that's underserved, which is not the uh, faith-based, but more inspirational, aspirational audience that's out there, um, it really appealed to me. And putting together campaigns and whatnot just was exciting. Yeah. So, what did you, Scott, then see in this market? Because I'm sure when you when you looked at the kind of films that Ali was looking to produce, and, and you were looking for a new opportunity with what you were doing, what was it specifically about the kind of films that uh, that Ali was working on in this market that you thought that this was a, an opportunity? I get it. I, I hear where you're coming from. I mean. Ali's making films that are that are feel good, inspirational movies that will appeal to um, you know parents that want to take their kids and give them a really great message, as well as you know teens that want to go see a movie that has motocross and motorsports in it, yet also has this great family message 
Um, you know, Warner's and Paramount and Sony and, and Disney, they all make these wonderful, great movies that I go to see with my kids, but they're huge, giant blockbusters. And I just felt like there was room in the marketplace for, for these uh, smaller films that will appeal to um, the, an audience that's already gone out and seen uh, uh, Aquaman and is looking for something different, and we think we can fill that niche. Um, our films will certainly play to the heartland, and that's an underserved market that I think that I can tap into and turn make it very profitable for this company, as well as get the message out uh, to families that Forest Films is making these kind of quality films for the family. That's great. That's great. So uh, right now, are you guys, and just for either of you, uh, are you guys focused on a domestic strategy, uh, I guess, North America, or are you focused on a world strategy, like a global strategy? We're focused on the theatrical side of the business, the business that, that broke records, as you know, last year with an all-time high in North America, internationally, and globally. Um, you know, it's, it's been a $40 billion year for you know, at Forest Films, we're going to take part in that success. And the idea, uh, you know, is to uh, release films worldwide uh, through partners that we have internationally, as well as myself, or us handling it domestically, and, um, you know, take advantage of it. And um, that's what we want to do. We're not, we're, listen, the, the idea that the small screen is the enemy of the big, big screen is, is really misguided. And people love to watch content at home. They also love to watch movies, to go out to the movies and date night and families. And and we're going to capture all of that worldwide. So uh, right now is a really, really interesting time. I mean, yesterday uh, I sat and I watched, or maybe it was two days ago, I forget. I sat and watched the Apple presentation. Uh, I don't know whether you guys checked it out, but it was super interesting. I mean, with the, 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 the changes in the market right now are almost unfathomable, you know, uh, uh, two years ago, right? So what do you see right now in terms of what's going on in the market? Apple, Hulu, Netflix, uh, you know, Disney, uh, HBO, all these streaming services. What does that mean for you and your strategy uh, and the w- and the way you release your films? For us, it's great news. The, the question's twofold. One, the fact is that Great movies, great content, whether people are seeing it on streaming or seeing it theatrically, drives people to want to see more content. We're going to take advantage of that because, you know, if you go to see a a movie like Aquaman that weekend, you see this great movie, you want to see another movie the next weekend and another movie. And it's the same thing as when you see content streaming or not. It's great content drives interest to, to more great content, whether you're seeing it at home or you're seeing it it, uh, in a theater. I think that what ends up happening with theatrical is all this great content that that is out there will make people more interested in seeing movies and all kinds of content. And theatrical will always be that go-to for the date night, for the family crowds, for people that just want to get away when the phone's not ringing and away from all the distractions. So, they really do go hand in hand, which is why I say I think it's misguided to, to think that one's going to crush the other. It's the same thing they said when VHS came out and they said theater business was over. 
right now do do you feel that with so so sorry let me just paraphrase that so your feeling is that there is still for these kinds of films a large theatrical presence and that that will continue to spill over into pretty much any any way somebody chooses to watch content in a non-theatrical experience absolutely our content will be we will open all our films theatrically but obviously we'll take advantage of all the streaming when, when that theatrical window, which we will honor the traditional window, when that theatrical window is over, then we'll take advantage of the streaming. And, and what, like, what's your strategy in terms of, because the hardest part of theatrical, and I've spoken to a lot of people, especially on this podcast, I've spoken to distributors, I've spoken to uh, people from uh, the producer's side, I've spoken to people from the uh, distributor's side, uh, and, 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 the, and the unions and the reps, and the hardest problem is always not so much that people want to go to theaters, but just letting people know that your film exists. So straight up p and P&A. I think that the, the, the advantage that we have now, and, and it's been proven over really over the course of the last year, is that your um, uh, uh, ability to market a film digitally now has expanded to the point with Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook that you can reach uh, people's homes, reach people, and target demographically target your audience. And not only demographically, but you can geographically target your audience and uh, go to the people that you know you will appeal to. And that's something that we're going to take advantage of in a big way. And, and have you guys seen a direct correlation between your ability to market to your demographic and those people showing up? I have definitely seen it in a lot of films in the last year. Uh, beginning one with Hereditary last year when when uh, A24 released it with, uh, with no... Uh, spend on TV. It was all digital, and that film grossed $45 million domestically. So that was the, really the eye-opener for me. It had been done before, but that was when it was like, wow, people will come. The other thing that we have a huge advantage of uh, over some of our competitors is the fact that we are owned by Forrest Lucas and Lucas Oil, and the tentacles that are out there for us. For instance, Right now, we are. He has over eighty let me, trucks. Let me jump in. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on this one. Yeah, um, we have we have uh, we have a television network. Jesse, I'm not sure if you know about that. We have our own TV network called Mav TV. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> okay, yeah, go ahead. We're, yeah, we're in thirty-five million households, so we're going to run commercials, even though we're not paying for this stuff directly. It's still in our, uh, you know, it's our company, Mav TV, is in thirty-five million households, and we're going to run commercials. We've done it before, you know, on the hour, every hour. So that's a huge. Uh, added value. In addition, we own the Luke Stowe Stadium, where the Super Bowl was a few years ago, home of the Indianapolis Colts. And um, and uh, we we you know there's hundreds of thousands of people that go through there every week that we can you know c- capitalize on doing promotions. We also make 400 products in America that are shipped out all over the country and the world. We're gonna collar tag those and put special promotional items with all our films and series, helping those promote. We have actually over 100 trucks and trailers, big rigs, moving billboards, if you will. They're traveling all over the country, and we just started seeing the first wrap. We're wrapping them in the films uh, and, and the forest films branding. So you'll, see, you'll start seeing those literally, like, basically moving billboards that are basically on the road 24-7. They're just always going back and forth delivering our Lucas Oil products. In addition to that, we even have more. We have nine sponsored and televised racing series. So you'll see a lot of our movies are backdropped in our own racing series. 
So we have dirt track racing, off-road racing, motocross, tractor pulls, drag racing, monster trucks. We've got a lot of cool uh, series, which are actually televised on CBS and NBC. So we get tremendous production value as we shoot in those, kind of taking a page out of Deja Thunder's uh, book of how to do it. But we also get another tremendous secondary benefit of promoting through all those fans, the actual venues, and all the partners that tie together with it. We actually sponsor 700 racers and race teams across the country. We have our own digital outlet called LukeSoulRacing.tv. And you can just imagine with all the things I just told you, the millions of the social media reach we have internally that's really complemented with our production sponsors. Yeah, we it sounds like, yeah, you, you guys, know, I mean, clearly the- hearing that, and I didn't, half of that I didn't know. I mean, half of that I've, I've obviously read uh, in doing my research for this show, but there's a lot more there that you've just laid out that I think gives you certainly an advantage over a more classical production only company. Absolutely. Yeah, we bring a tremendous added value to, to our partners and, and distributors, basically for free to them. Yeah, no, it's 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 an amazing value add, and and so I'm curious how Ali, when you're kind of conceptualizing, because you sort of you you glanced, or so you this was sort of glossed over in the beginning, but when it comes to the budgets of your films, and not necessarily saying hey, what's the budget of your film, but I am interested in sort of where you see the intersection between the budgets of the kinds of product that you want to put together and the market, and by that I mean. What I'm seeing right now and what I'm hearing and talking to people like yourself, there is an inflation of talent costs in the business, mostly directly or I would say directly related to uh, places like Netflix buying out and therefore you're paying more for talent. That results in potentially the cost to make product that is sellable. The economics are somewhat inverted. And so I'm wondering... Where do you see yourself in the spectrum of, okay, we want to make this feel-good, family-oriented product, but at the same time, you want to put in the kinds of talent that will help drive people into the audience. Uh, Can you just talk a little bit about that from your perspective? Of course. Well, I think it's more than just one layer. The first layer would be traditionally the story. If the script and the story is good, you'll get, I mean, we have Oscar winners in our movies. We have Ludacris in our big movie coming out this year called The Ride. So they love the story. So I still think the content, the agents, the managers, and coming from an acting background, you know, that that drives a big piece of it, right? What is this about? How will it help their career? What not for the actual actors? The second piece is we're very creative in our filmmaking, so we won't need you know, the run a show for that big name. We can shoot them out in a week or two and, you know, do it properly because we do, you know, we don't drink the Hollywood Kool-Aid. We do our own thing our own way. So if we need somebody for a week or 10 days, we could probably afford that because we can, we can manage those uh, expectations. We're not going to take them to, you know, Russia for a month. And, you know, we, we shoot all our films in California, preferably uh, predominantly Northern California and in wine country. We have a little mini studio basically set up there. So we're able to, um, you know, entice actors and talent a little bit with uh, financing, but mainly with the stories we're trying to tell. Because Jesse, we were we were diverse uh, and uh, having female empowerment well before it was fashionable. Like in the last four or five years, I've done twelve movies. Five of them have female leads in the number one position. Two of them have African American leads. Two of them have Middle Eastern leads in the number one positions. So we've been doing this for a long time, and I think that lends itself 
to talent. And then also they see our movies. If anybody sees our movies, they know like, wow, these guys are doing these great, you know, yes, they're sub $5 million movies, but they're still great quality, great, uh, you know, um, productions. So I think it's just kind of the combination in the relationships we have. And now that we have our own marketing arm here to work with us and Warner brothers to help with the home entertainment and uh, the digital and stuff. I think we have, we, and then like the added value, I just told you before we have tremendous, we have a very unique uh, ability that I don't think anybody else has because we, we develop, we finance, we produce, and now we're going to distribute ourselves with the help of Warner brothers, but, and, and even help market. So it's really a, I think, you know, it's multi-layered. Sorry if I can't answer it like totally with one answer, but it's kind of like, that's where I see it. But, but our budgets, unless, you know, listen, if, if, if the, if I had a sale, sometimes, I mean, you'll see big stars. I'm not going to name names, but you'll see big stars in movies that tank. So it's not necessarily, and then you see movies that don't have any stars in them. So the traditional model model of just having a huge A-lister in there, it's, it's been changing as you know, you see these new series and, and, you know, the cream rises to the top. So the, the talent, the creative, the writers, the directing, just the filmmaking itself, I think, helps as well and again we're not you know every movie we have doesn't have brad pitt or tom cruise in it so we're not we're not at that level and we'll, we'll be honest and that's really not the level we need to be at we're playing as as scott says small ball so we're just going to be you know the, the master of the small ball and and i i just want to add that like uh ludicrous came in and, and did this film for us called the ride which is a fantastic film we we test screened it down in long beach and i had a 95 percent in the top two boxes so Ali has been able to, at, at the budget level he's at, make movies that are scoring phenomenally uh, with test audiences. Um, and then also, as far as talent goes, Ali has a great eye for picking young talent. And uh, an example of that is our movie Lady Driver, which is uh, going to be coming out at the end of summer this year. And um, just a wonderful movie and a tremendous performance from a young lady named Grace Van Dien, who just premiered in a TV show called The Village. So, you know, that is also a way that we're able to uh, capture some of that wonderful talent. That's great. That's great, guys. So like, where I want to go next sort of in this in this conversation is I want to talk a little bit. Um, Scott, you have uh, a, as I mentioned before, and obviously as you teed it up, a very wide-ranging background. I'm really curious to know your take on where distribution, because you're a new entrant right now into the distribution business. How are you guys, uh, like, do, do you see yourselves as competing against other distributors for product? Or are you sort of, uh, I don't want to say a, self, a self-fulfilling prophecy, but you guys are creating product for yourself? We make it for ourselves, and that's the beauty of it. We're, we're really like a mini studio when you think about it. Uh, in that we are actually going to make our own content, produce our own content, distribute and market our own content worldwide. Um, we are, if, if, if opportunities arise that, that Ali wants to jump on, we will have the appar- distribution marketing apparatus to handle anything that comes our way. But um, other than that, we have, you know, how many movies in the can do we have? Hell yeah. <laughs> seven movies in the can. Uh, we have two that we're, we're in development with right now that could go to production any day. And, uh, you know, these guys are prolific filmmakers and, and they know they have a model that will work. And 
Do you feel, and this, sorry, and this is specific to your, your 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 history, Scott? The mistakes that you saw other distribution companies make. I'm very curious to hear because sometimes you know in the mistakes or in the in in the strategies that didn't work, we can learn about and hear about those things that you know you think will work in the future. So, what are the things that that previous distributors that you've worked for or just that you know about that they've done wrong that you will shy away from in this new incarnation of forest films? Well, I think that, um, first of all, it's a really tough game and we all know that, but, um, so, so I don't want to say that we make mistakes. Um, maybe things just didn't work out the way that we thought they would when we read a script and went into production. But, um, I think I that from these other companies, like what yeah, others have done, with it. right? Yeah. And I don't want to, but I I will say that when you see a film and it's not what you thought it was when it was written, I think that um, people still tend to step on the pedal and try to to spend more money to to get interest up when Rotten Tomatoes is going to crush your opening day anyway. Um, back in the day, we used to say you could buy a weekend gross. You can't buy a weekend gross anymore. And I think that there's still some old school thinking that you can, but it's just proven that you can't. So if you don't have the goods, you don't need to continue to spend money to try to get that uh, people to show up at the theater. It just doesn't really work. Did you feel then that the theatrical opening is still tied to how well you do in the ancillary markets? Are you using theatrical to drive that or is it just a loss later for you? We're using theatrical to drive those ancillary markets. So I think that what you do uh, in the theatrical market helps drive the rest of the, the, uh, the model. And um, the, as I said, you know, our films really are quality films that are going to cater to that family audience. And um, we are, you know, the, the beauty is we are catering to a family audience, but they all do have, like Lady Driver, she is a, what type of car is that? A, a dirt model, dirt track. She, she's driving dirt track uh, uh, cars. And it's a female empowerment movie. Uh, her, her family, her mother's relationship, her relationship, past relationship with her father, her relationship with her uncle. It's just a wonderfully feel-good movie that is surrounded by this action sport. So I think that we can tie into that audience and continue to, to, to deliver to that audience consistent product throughout the year that, that they will come and see and, and love. Um, another small tangent, Ali, th- this is for you. Uh, have you seen Formula One, the new Netflix series on, uh, well, the new series on Netflix? I actually have not. I've heard about it, but I have not. I'm sorry. It, it, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I'm only bringing this up because obviously you're, you're not from that sport, but you're from you know, that, that world. Uh, and I'm not a motorsports guy, but I saw that series and, and now I'm like, I'm deep into like the Formula One soap opera, you know, uh, directly as a result of that. So I was wondering um, if you've got any aspirations to actually do uh, a series around NASCAR or, or around where, uh, you know, where you, you, say you play. Funny you say that because literally in my hand right now is this proposal that we're working on because we're going to spin off four of our IPs into series long form and possibly short form. And one of those four is 
based on our motorsports action sports. So it's not going to be Formula One because I think you probably learned if you're watching that series. Formula One is like soccer. It's not popular here. It's huge in the world, but something about America just doesn't click with it as much as the other types of racing. You know, the, the biggest racing in America, obviously, is probably like NASCAR followed by NHRA drag racing. And then you'd be surprised, like, our number one of our number one rated shows on Mav TV is tractor pull racing. Can you believe it? Tractor pull. Yeah, yeah I, I, I believe it. <laughs> Not, so, you know, there's a, there's a, this is kind of catered to that uh, underserved market. But, yeah, I want to do – I want to spin into a series, and I think we have a couple different ways to do it. I mean, we have Bennett's War, that's uh, motocross racing that, you know, kind of ties in a veteran – uh, rebuilding himself physically and emotionally and spiritually and getting back on a bike. So we can do feel-good stuff like that. We can also do inspirational family stuff like Lady Driver or Dirt that came out with Kevin Dillon and Deron Horton. Uh, Warner Brothers released that last year. So it's kind of like uh, underdog stories. But we also have finished one that is called Wheels of Fortune. Think Talladega Nights, uh, just a goofy, funny Talladega Nights meets Brewster's Millions. It's a goofy, funny, over-the-top comedy also again in that so there's there's different angles we can take but right now i'm currently putting together a team to make actually one or two different variations of the motorsport series that would be perfect for not just like a netflix but as you mentioned earlier the streaming services including you know our own uh, housing a lot here warner brothers are going to be announcing theirs too so you know there's going to be a lot of homes for those and you know to add, to kind of comment on your first question out of the, out of the gate uh, there's going to be it's, it's kind of like all the new networks now you know just streaming is just another network you're going to have these you know disney fox abc was going to have theirs now you know apple plus just got announced warner's going to come on strong voodoo is going to be growing you know voodoo's backed by walmart so that's a monster that's going to keep growing and, and and i think i think amazon and voodoo are going to have a leg up on the competition because they can merchandise everything they can sell the lunchbox blanket pillow pencil hat with that movie, they could use the movie almost as a loss leader, where if you get like a Hulu or even Netflix, they really don't merchandise the way the other ones could. So it's, it's going to be a different platform, but you're going to have these eight to 10 monsters coming in. And, you know, I think whoever, whoever can bundle those is going to make a lot of money. But I don't know if, that, if everybody's going to, anybody's going to allow that. But it's going, to, it's going to follow, I think, like a traditional, you know, cable network kind of setup where you had all these big HBOs and showtimes and so on, and uh, you're just going to have it now in a mobile slash streamable, downloadable platform. The the thing that we're first of all that, that that's really interesting, and I wish you the best of luck with that series. I I think you specifically seem to be very well positioned to capitalize on 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 that opportunity. So I, I do wish you the best of luck with that. But it seems for 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 me at least that the scariest part of the proposition here is you've got all of these as you listed off all those potential homes for, for buyers, these buyers are looking for high-level product, high, big-budget, splashy kind of product. And, and, and when it comes down to um, a, a lot of the other product in the market, so not necessarily, not necessarily the kind of stuff that you're doing, but I include that in that, but all the rest of the product is grappling for um, the rest of the shelf space. So it's a shelf space question, really. Is is this is there really a limitless now amount of shelf space? Or are the places or are like the, the amount of homes available on, say, Netflix for an independent feature still really only if you're not through a major output deal, for example, like, I don't know, two slots a month. I mean, so it's really a question of, is there really that much of... Uh, uh, um, 
uh, uh, shelf space to put your products right now? Or well, I, I, it's a great question. Great question, Jesse. I, I think there is. It's kind of it, right now. There might not be because these these big guys have not released yet. So everybody's going to come on the scene, big, powerful. Everybody wants to, you know, show show their biggest, you know, shows first, right? But I think in a year to two years, as this business is ever changing and all these other platforms come up, there's no way every show is going to be a Spielberg or a Reese Witherspoon show on everything Apple does. It's it's probably not going to happen, nor everybody else. Obviously, Warner's is going to have a huge library, but it's not original. So they're going to come out with the Big Bang. These other guys that have libraries like Disney will come out with their libraries. And as you as you probably you already know, you know, people are pulling a lot of the content off of Netflix and will continue to do that when they start having their own competing services. However, they're going to be like in a year or two, it can't sustain this level of production. You know, I think there's going to be room for, again, good quality stuff that's shot at a reasonable rate. So they're like, wow, we're not going to get these, you know, we're not going to spend, you know, $100,000 a minute on some of this stuff, but we are going to be able to get like that middle tier, hopefully where we fall. Now, again, this is me speculating. This is me hoping. I don't have a crystal ball and, you know, I, 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 I've, I've been right more than I've been wrong, but I've definitely been wrong. But just traditionally, I think we're well capitalized so we can play the long game. But we are, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping that, you know, when they need original content, when they need those, as Scott said, when they need the between Wonder Woman and Aqua, Aquaman, you need something there, you know. And if, and if we can put something there that's cost effective to them. And we're, you know, we're not in a position where we're dying to have a, you know, we don't need MGs. We, we want partners. So when we work with Warner Bros. or we work with other distributors, we're we're in it for them internationally as well as a partnership because we want to succeed. It's not like we we're single source finance. We we don't have any bank loans, no interest, nothing coming. You know, we're it's it's our own stories, our own funding, our own style. So I think we're just a little different. But time will tell your 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 answer. I mean, yeah, right now you saw the Apple thing. You know, from Oprah to Spielberg to JJ. I mean, everybody was up there. You know. So yeah, they're going big out, out of the hole, but I think I think that that can't sustain in the next year or two, especially when all the other people keep coming up. So I think there's going to be you know big wave, big splashes. Everybody's going to tote their big boys and then big girls, and then uh, you know then then it's going to be like wait, now what? You know what's that Thursday night going to be? What's that Wednesday night going to be? And if you know if we're if Forest Films turns into a brand, which we we made the name and we designed the name because you know some of the executives here at Warner asked us to build a brand that people could recognize similar to like, like a Disney almost, like, you know, what you're going to get, you know? So when you see a forest film, so um, even though we're, we're, we'll be financing and producing the movies, like we're doing our first horror movie this year, it's not going to be under the forest films banner because we want forest films to just kind of represent what, what we were traditionally are doing. So um, I don't know if I answered your question, but I'm, I'm hoping there is, and I think there will be because, you know, I don't, I don't think they can sustain, you know, when, when everybody pulls their content out of Netflix and Netflix has to just do their originals, I think that'll open a window for good filmmakers that aren't, you know, massive, you know, uh, entities already. So that, that's my hope, and I, I'm hoping that's where we're in. Dude, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that's actually really insightful, uh, what, what you said, and I genuinely hope that to be the case, that that does open up more opportunity and, and, and more, uh, more of a chance for independent film companies like yourselves and distribution companies like yourselves to you know get their products into the marketplace uh it'll be interesting to see what happens and it i think the really interesting positioning for you guys is that you can play as you said that long game 
which is also uh, a fairly unique thing about your company. So uh, that's that's Yeah, I mean, really how many cool. companies do you know right now that have seven finished films in the can, quality films ready to go already at our level, you know, that, that have, you know, this type of horsepower sitting behind them already, no, no pun intended. Well, it's the vertical int- integration that I think seems to be the most interesting part about uh, the way you've set up your, your, your strategy. And so, Scott, like when you, when, when you see that and you look at sort of the, the, the family, like how big is the family market in the, in the U.S.? Like, with that, I like, mean, it's a huge market when you look at, I mean, the movies that actually do business and that the, the older female audience is, is such a huge part of uh, the demographic that actually goes to the theater. And the reason is because they're bringing their families, they're bringing their kids. So um, if we can tap in. We Our test markets on our films have shown that that audience responds, greatly responds to our, our um, movies. And it's because um, they feel good, they're inspirational, and they're happy to bring their children to see it and learn, you know, learn something without knowing they're learning something. Uh, our movie Ride is, a, is based on a, um, it's inspired by a true story about John Bulgens, who was a uh, abused child and raised by white supremacists, and when he was put into foster care, he ended up getting adopted by uh, a parent of color. And um, it's how their relationship grew and how they developed. And Ludacris plays the father. And um, they bond and become this great family unit. Uh, Mothers responded to our test screening was phenomenal. We had a 97% response from, from mothers over 35, parents over 35. And are you, when you're taking a film like that out theatrically, are you talking directly to the theaters or do you go through an intermediary or are you able to just book them directly? I'm Scott Kennedy. Yeah, I handle it myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's one of the reasons we got him. I mean, he took me the first month. Scott was with us. He's been with us, what, six months now? So the first month we went to this, what was that luncheon called? Uh, that was a pioneer. The pioneer. Yeah. And literally the heads of, whether it's uh, Arclight or AMC and these big exhibitors, I know them now, Jesse, like because Scott has had relationships with these guys for 20-some years. We actually are having our first presence next week at Show West at, in Las Vegas at CinemaCon. So, yeah, we have direct with them. So we're, we're going to actually – I don't know if Scott mentioned it earlier, but, Jesse, we're going to – we're in, in the talks of servicing other people's movies because they don't have the ability and the, and the you know, um, structure we already have in place to, you know, do – and I would say, you know, I know Scott wants to go bigger. I usually say 1,500 theater max. Let's not go two, 3,000 out of the gate with our setup. Let's just kind of take it a little slow. But um, not only does Scott uh, have the relationships with them, we're, we're willing to help other independents like us that maybe need a you know, 600 click off a wide, a, a wide release so they can get their you know, foreign sales up or they can get their you know, uh, in theaters now with 20 screens in the right places. And yeah. Scott knows the times, the date, the location. He's very, very. Uh, he's taught me a lot in the last six months about how important it is to check, you know, to, to really be specific about when you're releasing, who you're releasing to. Is it going to be regional? Is it going to be wide? The new digital testing we're doing. We're doing more than just in-theater testing. We're actually doing a new digital testing as well that gives the option to see the whole country and people get to watch the movies and grade them from their own home. So we're comparing. We're doing both types of testing. So we're comparing where the overlap is, and that's, you know, a little bit better that you could take to the bank where you know, hey, like this part of the country in theater and digitally is working, uh, you know, most likely that'll work. And like you said, 
all the buzz we make, we'll put all this money behind it. All the buzz will. I mean, we all have done that where we're sitting at home and, oh, there's the show that you, you saw a bunch of buzz up, noise about, but you didn't ever saw it in theaters, but you can click it. So we're definitely looking for the SVOD and the secondaries and the transactional to be a, uh, you know, a big portion of our domestic revenue. So let me let me ask you a little bit of a nerdy question that when it comes to the actual mechanics of distribution, um, specifically, I'm just going to use what uh, a an experience that I had on a previous film that that I was involved with. One of the issues that we came up with when we tried to distribute that was that the cost to get it into each individual cinema, of course, with the digital print fees and stuff like that. Um, you know, you, you want to put into 500 theaters, you're going to have to spend the print fee for each one of those theaters. We landed up going with an option that involved, uh, as I'm sure you know, Scott, uh, uh, the outfit Fathom Events, and they were able to put it out through their through their uh, system to, uh, it was, I don't know, 700 plus screens instantaneously without the cost of the digital print fee. That's just the way that they, they operate. But the nerdy part of this question is... When you want to get it out to that many theaters en masse, now you're playing a real kind of, you know, numbers game, right? The, the, how many people are going to actually show up versus the cost to actually get it into that theater. And that specific barrier of entry, I think, can be devastating for smaller companies or people that don't understand, you know, the market and the metrics and and and, and how you go about doing that math. First of all, the... the- the game of BPS is changing. Uh, that was established uh, as a 10-year cycle, and that cycle started in 2005 through 2009 and 2010 uh, with some of the, the financers. So the BPS fees will start uh, going away, and they've already started in some theaters. And over the course of the next few years, those costs will diminish greatly uh, and save millions of dollars when you release a film uh, theatrically in the United States and, and worldwide. So that's coming, and it's something that we can all look forward to um, in the near future. Um, but as far as targeting demographically the theaters, I mean, it's a matter of using this wonderful service that I use, which is Comscore, and I can, I can hone in, and I can research, and I can figure out exactly what theaters have done business on my McFarland and race and uh, blindside. And I can specifically look at a sports theme film that was inspirational to families and hone down to the top 600 runs nationally where they are and then target those theaters specifically to make sure I'm playing it. Then what we can now do that you couldn't have done even two years ago is geo-target First of all, geofence those theaters and then geo-target them so that you are marketing directly to the audience that goes to those specific theaters. And that's something that uh, will get, that intel will get greater and greater as we move forward in the coming months and years. And um, it's very exciting. That way you don't have to just blanket, carpet, carpet blanket the country with, with media. You can target theaters that you know people are going to go to. That's amazing. What's the name of that uh, that software that uh, that you use? It's not a software. That's Comscore. It's a it's a company that that actually tracks uh, uh, theatrical grosses uh, worldwide. Now, is that available to? Is that a? I don't know. I've never used this. I've never. Well, used you have it. to be a studio in order to subscribe, or or somebody in the uh, an independent. But 
Um, it's a wonderful service that, that uh, has been around for a while. And um, it, I am, I, if you looked, I'm probably one of the most high users on that service because I find the, the data fascinating. Uh, and, um, you know, you really can target, you know, learn where that business is coming from and target those theaters. That's fascinating. And I, I think it's it's so funny because we uh, recently, it was just in December, um, we had the VP of Communications uh, for the theaters uh, on, on our show. And this, this very topic was among one of his uh, central uh, points, specifically for independent filmmakers, was how do they reach out to... Uh, theaters. How do they find out, you know, where to where to put their their product and their films? And what you're talking about right now is the actual nuts and bolts of actually, okay, I can go to this theater in this market because I know, uh, you know, the, the, whatever the data is that you want. I love that approach. It's amazing. Um, and so you're 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 really into that. Yeah, I love it, and I find it. Uh, I mean, I'm on I'm on Comscore constantly. Uh, you know, it, it's enabled me to be able to predict weekend grosses Friday at noon, uh, you know, just because you can look back and see historically what other comp films had done at noon on Friday. Uh, it's just a fascinating service, and they've got some really smart people over there uh, that are putting together this deal and uh, putting together the data. And, um, you know, it's, they're expanding as well into what what is available through their site. So... It's, it's great. And, um, you know, I'm not the only one doing it, but I can tell you that people that understand it and there's people at all the studios, a handful of people at all the studios that are, you know, astute with handling all this data and figuring out what's going to happen and where, where is the best place to target. Um, so I'm not the only one doing this, but I think I'm one of the best. Well, I, I think it's that, it's that intersection between that, that research and then the marketing location specific demographic specific marketing that you were talking about at the beginning of the show i mean that's really where the gold is and uh, thank you for that answer that's really cool um guys i i well, it's already it's already been uh almost you know three three quarters of an hour now since we've been chatting away here if people want to find out more about uh forest films where is the best place for them to reach out to you guys um, forest-films.com is our new site that popped up um, and it's getting populated and built daily so um, forest-films.com we also have our uh, our um, social media site ESX Entertainment has a lot of the, a lot of the information with the you know as we're going into production and as we're coming to release and a lot of just the fun social media aspects of it and, you know, we're obviously, for business side, we're represented by Rogers and Cowan on the PR side. As you know, we have uh, our offices here at Warner Brothers. So depending on who and how they want to get hold of us, there's pretty much, you know, a lot of different avenues to learn what we're doing and possibly get a hold of us if they seem there's something interesting. Well, I thank you both so much for your time today. Is there anything else, that, uh, Scott or Al, you want to uh, tack on here just for our audience before we uh, call it a day? Any last, any last words? I mean, one thing that I one thing that I like, and it's not necessarily specific business of movie making, but it is in this world. Is kind of what I think. Not only are movies what I think the country and the world needs right now in terms of, and I don't want to sound corny, but it's really like what I like. But I think it's really what it needs. You know, this kind of diversity and bringing people together is that it's a it's a human human story here of Forrest Lucas, 
very, very uh, humble beginning. Didn't have running water until he was nine years old, raised, born in, uh, you know, Indiana, full on American, right? Then you got me, Iranian, born in the other side of the world, coming to America in the middle of the hostage crisis. You got two different opposing forces that couldn't see eye to eye any better. Like we're, we're literally on the same page. I grew up on a ranch in Northern California when I moved here in the late 70s, early 80s. And I think it's just a testament of like, you know, what, what I think the world needs to be, uh, you know, open to and, and not be afraid of because you would never think these two people would get along. And not only do we get along, we formed, uh, we forged a great friendship, a great partnership. He's one of my, you know, mentors, my boss and, and, and a good friend of mine. I think it's kind of cool. A lot of people that resonates again, it's not, you know, a business thing. It's more of a personal thing, but at the end of the day, you know, Businesses, relationships, relationship over results is what we've always, what so I've always uh, subscribed to. So um, I don't know, just thought I'd leave with that. That it's kind of cool to see that happening in today's environment. Thank you, Ali. No, I appreciate that. Uh, that's uh, that's great. I think it's reflective of the kind of movies that you guys want to make. Um, that's great. Thank you, Scott. Any any last words on your side? No, I think that uh, the the Apple news, the Netflix news, the the Disney, the Warner Brothers news, all the streaming is nothing but great news for theatrical and for uh, the, the movie-going public. So you'll be able to see films everywhere. But I think theatrical, for me, is always going to be the place to, to see a film and uh, enjoy it. I, I go with my kids literally every weekend to see a movie. Uh, we went and saw Us this past weekend with my teenagers and loved it. Uh, it's just an experience where you can go, you can turn off your cell phone and escape for two hours. I don't see how anything else provides that. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show, sharing your passion and your knowledge uh, for this business. So apparent. I wish you all the best in your endeavors. You can find us at Craft Truck or myself at Jesse Eichmann. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you on the next one.